1: We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com registered training organisation 31352. Now today's guest is Erin Flanagan. Erin is the operations manager for a busy riding school, Crystal Cascades Horse Park. Now the difference here is she's in the tropics, so she's not just got to look after 20 school horses who are doing about 60 lessons a week, it's busy anyway, and traveling to competitions and, um, you know, all of those extra horse management problems. But she's teaching in the rain, in the heat, in the humidity. And I'm sure that there's going to be some horse management lessons that we're going to be learning from her. So if anyone's getting ready to travel or already living in the tropics, I think this particular chap's going to be invaluable for you. Anyway, Erin, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you, Glenys. How great. are you? Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Really good, Erin. Now, Erin. Just tell us, and I I probably should have warned you before I'm just throwing in the dark, a favourite saying. I think you've got a favourite quote, haven't you? Something that inspires you or something that you teach people all the time.
0: Yeah, I guess one of my favourite sayings, um, you know, I work up here with a lot of different types of horses and Mm -hmm. a lot of different types of riders, beginners and people that have never ridden before and uh, people that are very experienced and same goes for horses. The thing that kind of keeps me on the right path is, um, I'm not sure who said it originally, but uh, the saying is, if your horse says no, you've either asked the wrong question or asked the question wrong. Yes. Um, and I guess that's you know really important for me because I like to make sure that my horse always has an opinion mm-hmm. um, and that I'm trying to listen to his opinion all the time.
1: Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. It may have been a Pirelli saying, but it's also been attributed to a couple of other people. Mm-hmm. But certainly one that um, all horse people, you know, no matter what discipline they're in or what area they're in, it's just something and it's to do with communication and listening and it's not just about talking, you know, it's about listening yeah. as well.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, Erin, I know that your mum's got Bristol Cascades Horse Park. You've probably been there all your life. Is that right? Is that how you started?
0: Um, it's actually not. So I was I was quite, uh, I guess, a late bloomer with horses. So um, I didn't have horses until I was 13. I was one of those kids that begged my parents for years and years and years and years and years. Um, and mum had ridden in pony club when she was a child. Um, but yeah, we didn't get our first horse till, we, uh, till I was 13 and actually shared that horse with my mum and my sister, um, at the time, so it, there were three of us riding the one horse, which I wasn't super fussed, uh, impressed about because I thought the horse would be mine. Yes, um, well, but yeah, you did all so the I actually, Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I started off. I was quite um, a nervous rider to start with. I wasn't um, into the pony club scene um, because I started riding quite late. Um, and the PCAQ rules were kind of based on age rather than ability. And I was a bit worried to jump. I wasn't a jumper and my mare wasn't a jumper. And so I didn't really do pony club. So I actually got into Western Pleasure to start with um, and did some local shows up here uh, at the Top End Western Club. And I always got the comments... <laughs> I always got the comments, um, your horse is too forward for Western, and then I would take her to an English show and I would say, <laughs> oh, you should put her in Western classes because she's too slow for dressage. <laughs> um, so that was quite
1: frustrating. I'm thinking about your confidence, you know, and you said you're a bit worried. Do you think there was one time that you all of a sudden thought, oh, I'm a lot more confident? Was there, Do you think it was just a build-up of just continual hours and hours and hours of riding? Or was it a particular incident that all of a sudden you were more confident?
0: Um, look, I, I personally don't – I don't feel that I'm a very confident rider. I've done a lot with my riding. I've mm-hmm. trained a thoroughbred to pre-St. George dressage. But I don't I don't take myself as a confident rider. I'm not one to throw myself over jumps or, um, <laughs> you know, go out trail riding very often because I'm yeah. a bit of a worrier. Yeah. Um, but I guess with me and uh, with a lot of my philosophies for teaching as well is um, – Basically, if I can understand why I need to do something or how the horse needs to achieve that, mm-hmm. it gives me a better understanding of what I'm asking the horse to do and um, understanding that I am trying to help myself or help help the horse to do things better. Um, so that gives me confidence, understanding why I need to do something, not necessarily that I'm a very confident rider.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, what about because you're, you're operations manager now and it is a busy riding school. Did you always... Yes. Plan to work with horses? Was that just inevitable because you, you know, you've uh, got a property or was there steps towards that? What happened?
0: Yeah, I guess um, I didn't really plan to work with horses. I was actually really good at school. Um, so I got an OP1 um, wow. at, at school when I finished year 12. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot of pressure on me to go to university and become a doctor or a lawyer or something something yeah. <laughs> and I really had no idea what I wanted to do at the end of school. I had absolutely no idea and my university preferences kind of reflected that. Um, so I applied for law and engineering and psychology and all sorts of different sure. things. Um, I did actually get into law and I did about six months of law and um, that found out that that wasn't for me. Um, and then I did a double degree in maths and chemistry. Um, with the view of becoming a maths teacher, um, doing a ed after that. Um, So I guess, I, in a way, I am a teacher. (laughs) It's just not maths and chemistry. Um, So what ended up happening is I finished um, 18 months in council doing um, the maths and chemistry degree and didn't really like it. And um, mum and dad had this idea to purchase a property and um, my little sister had been born the year before and, you know, they thought it was inevitable that we'd at least have horses forever yeah. um <laughs> so uh yeah we purchased a hundred acres out in red lynch um, which is about 15 minutes from the cairns cbd and mm-hmm. we've built an adjustment property and a riding center and we've been operating that this is our 12th year now so wow
1: yeah. wow oh that's good that's good now if you're employing people just think if you you know you put an ad in the paper but what sort of character traits, what sort of core skills? You can say I want someone who's qualified or I want someone who's got experience, but, you know, when it all boils down, what type of person are you looking for? What sort of things should they be doing? You know, yep. what would make it that someone has a job and someone hasn't?
0: That's actually an excellent question. We had um, two two positions open up in the last uh, three months because our current girls, our junior stable hand, Um, And our stable hand are actually uh, leaving to do their veterinary um, nursing qualifications. So we have actually been looking for new staff. Um, And the thing that we prioritise, even more than horse experience, because we're not in a very horsey part of Australia, um, the thing that we prioritise is good observation skills and a hardworking attitude. Um, Mm -hmm. Basically, we need people to be able to... um, cope with working in the heat and working with in the sun and walking and tacking up and lifting and working long hours and basically loving it. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. it's, it. it can be a it can be a hard job to love, but if you if you're really dedicated and it's something that you wanna do, um it's really rewarding but yeah so observation skills are really important obviously working with horses making sure they they're healthy and everything's got shoes on and nobody's got any kicks or bites or scratches um, and just a hard working attitude is what we really prioritize
1: okay because I, and i think you're right i think that for people who work with horses sometimes you know they've got this dream that i'm just going to go and work with horses and i just get to brush horses all day and i Get on a perfectly schooled horse and go out for a wonderful ride, and then when they get a get a job, they go, "Oh no, this is not for me." But other people just go, mm. "Yes, this is exactly what I've wanted my whole life. I get to yep. do everything." And, and I think you know, working with horses can make or break. Through.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely right. I think that's I think that's for any industry though. If you find what you love to do, it's, yes. it's not hard work, even though it is hard work. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, that's right, that's right. And and the um, you know, you talk about extra professional development, extra knowledge, and everything, but if you're wanting to do it, it's not work. It's not. It's not like oh, I've got to go do this course. It's wow, I get to do this course. I get to do it. Yep. so I really want to learn more, and I really want to do it well. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, now thinking about your lessons, you know, and I want to think about how your riding school would be different to others in other parts of the world. You know, we have, you know, people who might have a riding school in the Scandinavian countries that might be snowing most of the year and they get a little bit of non-snow weather, but you're in the heat in the tropics. Do you have different times during the day that you say, look, it's just too hot to ride? Do you ride early morning, late afternoon? How do you do it? How do you manage it that's a little bit different to anyone else? yep
0: yeah, so um basically uh, we run we run lessons three days a week, um, mm-hmm. so we have our sixty students in over that three days, which is a pretty hard slog. We're pretty full on. Um, but having said that we uh, run during the winter time, we run from for um, so twelve p m till eight p m. It's a little bit cooler in the middle of the day. Um, during the summer, we really Uh, we're really quite careful with the horse's health. So um, what we do is we have a a hot weather policy that we introduce from about um, October till April. Um, And so what happens is we keep an eye on the predicted temperature for the week and the humidity. So the humidity for us is a killer up here. Mm -hmm. So actually just this morning, I had to cancel our lessons at 12 p.m. and 1 p.m. because I got to work and it was 9 o'clock in the morning. And it was about 98% humidity. And so our arena, the thermometer we have in the arena was showing a wet bulb temperature of 35 degrees at 9am. Wow, wow. <laughs> um, so yeah, really, really quite sticky situation. Um, and all of the horses, you know, you see them in the paddock and they're a little bit sweaty and they're just breathing a little bit hard. So, you know, when we look at them and we think, okay, they're they're working hard to stay cool just standing we don't really want to work them at that point in time and add to their stress so yeah i guess like i was saying they only work three days a week um they've got plenty of time off but the days that they do work um if it's going to be over that wet bulb temperature of 35 degrees we tend to cancel our lessons or reschedule our lessons Mm -hmm. um to either later in the day so we'll move things back starting at like or 5pm and going till about 8.30 at night yeah. or we um, will reschedule for the school holidays or a little bit later in the in our term. Um, so that way we can just keep our horses safe and keep our clients safe because a lot of kids as well and, and adults, they do um, a lot of office work and they're used to being um, you know quite sedentary in their lifestyle so I, I don't need people getting heat stroke on my yeah, horses yeah. Uh, just for having a bit of fun so
1: and, and for those people who are listening in different parts of the world you talk about 35 degrees it's not Fahrenheit she's talking about it's, it's Celsius <laughs> so it's a little bit warmer yes, 35 Celsius. degrees Fahrenheit yeah yeah
0: yeah absolutely
1: wow. wow okay now what about the care of the horses I mean electrolytes different feeding what sort of feeding do you do
0: Okay, so we all of our horses are just on a basic salt supplement. Mm -hmm. Um, What we tend to do is when it is hot weather, so when we're looking at those 35-degree days or over, even when the humidity is quite high, like uh, 95%, uh, we will tend to feed earlier in the morning, so it's not as hot for them, not as stressful. Um, The other thing that we really like to do, and this is something that I learned from my stable manager because she – actually um, competed endurance horses for Um, a very, very long time. Um, So she's excellent at maintaining um, body temperature and respiration rate and heart rate. She's very, very good at it. And she's been an absolute godsend for me to have uh, working here for the last four years. (laughs) Um, We actually give ice baths. So if it's going to be quite hot and we see the horses are um, struggling, Sophie and I will spend our day uh, in the paddock with eskies full of ice water, wiping the horses down with ice water and scraping them off and wiping them down and scraping mm-hmm. them off and wiping them down and scraping them off, just trying to bring that core temperature down and get them them quite comfy.
1: Yeah, and I think that uh, that scraping off so important, isn't it? Because otherwise no good hosing your horse and just leaving the water on it because the water itself becomes quite hot, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Okay. Now, what about competitions? You know, if you go out because you're a competitor anyway, and you go out to local competitions, what sort of variations do they have? Do they only have the competition season, you know, from, say, April to October? um, Or are they more evening, you know, like twilight shows? How does that work?
0: Uh, Well, we we are quite limited. I mean, the the dressage scene, I guess, is getting a little bit better in North Queensland. Mm -hmm. Um, But basically our local dressage club, um, Far North Equestrian Group, is based in Red Lynch. And then we have our Mariba Club, um, uh, ATDBEA. And then our next closest two clubs to us are in Townsville, so approximately 400 kilometres away. (laughs) Thank you. yeah, so basically with the local clubs, we tend to run um, competitions from May to about September. We They do usually schedule training days for um, March and April mm-hmm. and October, but often by that time, um, it's already a little bit too hot or usually in April, we're getting torrential rain still. Um, so oftentimes the, the grounds are rained out. So usually we look at May to September really for our our competition timeframe um, for training. So it's quite, we are quite limited in what we can do. So especially if we're trying to qualify to go down south, we have to we have to hit a, hit a bit of a hard slog to get our qualifiers to, to be able to compete down south.
1: Okay, okay. Now tell us about a horse who's maybe influenced you, helped you in your career. If you've got one horse that stands out a bit more than the others.
0: Definitely. Um, so uh, my thoroughbred, um, who was my first, foray into off the track thoroughbreds so I've had a few since I've still got him I've had him for 12 years now as well mm-hmm. um, he was originally supposed to be one of our school horses but he ended up not being very quiet um, so I ended up with him um, so he's a 15.3 chestnut thoroughbred with full white socks and a big white blaze so he's very blingy very handsome um, but boy can he buck <laughs> <laughs> and I have fallen off him all the time. That I can count. Um, so we've had a hard fog. It's taken me, you know, 12 years. Um, I finally feel like I'm starting to understand him. Um, and we have managed to make it to, to Pre St George uh, with our dressage, which is um, always interesting when you don't know whether your extended canter is going to be <laughs> a proper extended canter or a line of um, Bucks and tempi changes. But yeah. we did it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, we had our our, um, our second start at um, Pre-St. George in May last year. Unfortunately, he had a paddock accident after that and he um, tore a ligament, so he's been lame since, um, but we are rehabilitating him. But I guess um, the biggest thing he taught me was to be patient and tactful. He, um, he was never a horse that you could get cranky with because he was always better at being cranky. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, yeah, you had, to, you had to ride him quite tactfully. Um, so, yeah, he, he really taught me, took me a long time to develop the patience I needed to ride him, but he definitely instilled that in me, that sometimes it's just better to wait after you put an aid on rather than increase the aid because oftentimes they need time to process and get their body together as well.
1: Okay. Okay. Now, if we're thinking about your proudest moment, you know, is it riding that horse at Free St George or is it other moments or is it teaching moments, you know, where your students do well? What do you think that you'd like to be remembered for almost, you know, that you're able to achieve this or is it just all those little things?
0: Yeah, I guess guess it's, um, you know, I have my personal moments with my horses. So I've Mm -hmm. got, um, you know, my thoroughbred, which we've been able to do great things with yep. um, and then I did, did buy myself a, um, a warm blood as well and I managed to get him to um, to Gatton in February 2017 where we won the four-year-old young horse championship down there um, and we won the first round of the Brisbane CDI in 2017, the four-year-old class. So yep. that was a really huge milestone moment um, and one of the big things that I ticked off my bucket list with Hinton was riding at SIAC. Um, um, yes. For the Sydney Cdi, so that yep. was that's always been a dream of mine to ride down there. So to have a horse to do it on that you know quality enough to go down is quite incredible. But I guess the proudest moments that I have are, are really my students every day. Like you know, you get kids, and it might not necessarily be that are best. They're the best riders, and they're going out and buying their own horses, and you know, competing and doing really well like that. But more so, it's the kids that have. Um, you know, a little bit of a lack of confidence or um, they have a tendency to, to quit. They don't have enough self-confidence to keep going with something when the horse, you know, doesn't quite give it to them the first time they ask. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess one of the biggest things that I'm proud of in, in feeling in my clients and my students is resilience. You know, resilience is such an important thing to have um, in the world that we live in. And horses are such a great teacher for your resilience. So that's that's really proud. When I see kids starting to become more resilient and starting to become more determined but more empathetic at the same time within that, yes. that, that makes me really proud as a teacher.
1: Okay, now thinking about you as the operations manager, and I know you've got your challenges as far as the weather goes and keeping your horses fit, happy, healthy, sound. Is there anything else that you think if this changed, and money aside because money's just always a problem, but challenges that you have as a riding school owner, okay, and this might be a challenge that has nothing to do with the tropics. It might be just a general business management thing that um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: lots of riding school owners would have as, um, you know, to expand. They'd like to expand a bit more and I think you've got enough acres there to, to not have, you know, a, a, a um, restriction on the property as an expansion. How would you like to expand? How would you like to keep the business going and, you know, push along a little bit more and what sort of challenge would stopping you?
0: Yep. Um, so I guess the the biggest challenge over the last 12 years um or I guess eleven years, we're kind mm-hmm. of on the up a little bit at the moment. Um, so when we started was the week that we opened was the week two thousand and seven that um, equine influenza hit Australia. Oh, no. So we were actually in <laughs> yeah, yeah so we had a really gr- mm. yeah, we had a really great opening week. So that was fantastic. Yeah. Um, we have had you know quite a few struggles in the last ten or eleven years to to really break even and and keep keep the business going because, you know, as you said, you know, money's always an issue um, and we do it for the love of it. We don't do it for the money, but at the end of the day, we do have to cover our costs. Sure. So um, I guess my recommendation would be, first off, to try before you expand, you need to consolidate. Mm-hmm. Um, so making sure that you're using your staff to the best of their ability without Overworking them and without making them cranky, um, but making sure that you consolidate your clients and consolidate your staff so that you're not you're not wasting your time and energy. That's how we've managed to basically get 60 clients in over three days. Is we've really consolidated our co- sorry consolidated our groups into group lessons, yeah. um, so that we can provide as many people as possible with a fantastic safe horse experience without overworking our horses, without overworking our staff um, and basically keeping everyone in a high level of satisfaction with their lessons. Mm -hmm. Um, Ideally, into the future, I would like to clone myself (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I could have another instructor. Mm -hmm. At the moment, I'm the only full-time instructor here. So um, if I could get someone that could help me out and we could expand the number of lessons we have, that would be amazing (laughs) because ideally i would like to be able to broaden broaden our business and and take it to more clients and take it to schools. um but at the moment there's only so many hours in the day and (laughs) um, i can only work so many hours as well before running myself into the ground um so i guess yeah that would be my recommendation is 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 try and consolidate get things working really um in a really tight well-managed way before you look at expanding but you know, once you consolidate, expansion should be relatively easy.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. I think that's that's really good advice too, you know, good advice for other people who may be teaching seven days a week and wearing themselves out. I think if you can consolidate all your lessons into that three days a week, um, Yeah. then you know that, that for three days a week you of teaching, you might be going, you know, eight hours a day, but you know then the, all the other... <laughs> Eight
0: minutes. hours a day is a short day for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. But all the other millions of things that you do need to do as a, you know, as a riding school owner or operations manager, you've Absolutely. got that time to do on the other days. Yeah. Now, do you teach mainly people on school horses? Do any bring their own horses?
0: Yep. So I have a number of clients that I teach on their own horses. So mm-hmm. um, I do them on my... Uh, days off from the riding school clients. Yep. So I do travel a fair bit. So I travel up to Mariba, which is about 60 kilometres away, and then down to Gordonvale, which is about 35 kilometres away to do my other clients. Yep. Um, and then some clients are even really nice to me and they bring their horses to our indoor, <laughs> which is lovely. Okay.
1: Okay. So thinking about a common fault that you'd see with your riders, you know, and and you might... Mm-hmm go all the way up to Mareeba and they say, oh, can you do a workshop for us? Or we've got, you know, a a couple of extra students. What's a common thing that you see when you first get a group of students and you go, I just want to get this right first before we move on and do anything extra?
0: Um, I guess, you know, it goes back to the dressage training scale. I'm a a massive, um, I guess, pusher of the dressage training scale. The biggest issue that I have... um, with people with their own horses, or even with our riding school clients, is just to let the horse show you its rhythm. Um, you know, it's it's such a a visual thing. You know, we look at dressage as such a visual thing. The horse needs to be in this frame, or you know, it needs to be walking, trotting, and cantering this way, or it needs to do a a circle this way. But at the same time, it needs to be a feel, and you need to feel what the horse is offering you first before you try and make it something else. Um, I guess that's the best way I try and get my riders to start to listen to their horses to start with. Um, and then usually in after that, the horses are a little bit more willing to be um, influenced or changed because you've listened to them in the first place rather than forced them or made them or tried to influence them too quickly. Mm-hmm.
1: If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look, horsechats.com. All right. Now, what about your beginner riders, your complete beginners have never been on a horse before, or worse is they've been on a horse, they've had a fall, and now- You know, they've had nightmares for the last five years and now they're getting on a horse again, so they're pretty scared. Yep. What yep. sort of exercises would you do? with them? What do you do?
0: Um, so usually because we work a lot in group lessons, um, if I have those riders, what I tend to do is put them on my quietest pony mm-hmm. and put them in the middle of my group. So usually what I'll do is I'll start off by teaching everyone the same way, how to ask their ponies to move off how to ask their pony to stop, how to ask their pony to turn um, so that everyone has a basic understanding and no one feels um, as if they're being put down to, that we're just uh, reiterating the basics for everyone. Mm -hmm. And then I try and give them confidence by getting them to understand that horses don't want to hurt them. you know, if you've fallen off, it's usually just an accident. It's not because the horse wanted you to come off yeah. um, or made you come off. Um, that we fall off a lot. I fall off a lot. <laughs> yeah. I fall yeah. off a lot. Um, so uh, I guess, you know, just trying to instill in them that it is a partnership and you're learning to communicate with the horse um, and that sometimes we do fall off, but it's not because um, they want to hurt you. It's, it's just an accident. Um, And I think the more that kids tend to understand that, um, the more confident they get because they're not, they don't feel so out of control. They feel as if a connection is a little bit more a way to not be in control with the horse, but be in tune with the horse, I guess, rather than be a passenger. Okay. Okay.
1: That's good. All right, Erin, what are you looking forward to now? You know, you've you've got some competitions coming up. You've got um, extra things sort of that. The hot season's dying down a little bit.
0: Um, yeah, so we've just started back our our, um, our lessons for our first term of 2019. Mm-hmm. So looking forward to getting back into that. Um, my aim this year for the riding school is to procure another couple of um, nice, quiet horses. So that's, that's my biggest goal for the year is to get some really good quality horses for our riders to learn on. Um, and I guess just to see the development in all of our clients, whether they're beginners or, um, you know, they've been riding with me for a number of years, is just to keep seeing that development, even if it might be small, um, that they keep working towards a goal. Um, And one of the biggest things I try to explain to people, um, because I have a lot of uh, women that come back to riding after a long time, and they're, you know, usually very driven women and career women. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they have a very... Cerebral understanding of what they need to do, but oftentimes they can't make their body cooperate. Um, And I guess one of the big things that I like to explain to them is you know, if you're learning to play an instrument, um, you know, as a child, I learned to play piano, and my teacher used to tell me that I needed to practice for at least an hour every day of the week. And, you know, if we have our own horses and we have busy lives and we're only riding, three days a week, and if we're only cantering for 10 minutes of that ride and there's something that you want to be proficient at in canter, it's going to take you a little while to become proficient if you're cantering for 10 minutes, three days a week. Um, you know, one of the things that a lot of people tend to do is they want to hurry, they want to be better, they want to nail it, um, but oftentimes it just takes time
1: mm-hmm. and
0: and just takes, you know, being content to sit there and slog, go through the hard stuff and slog it out um, until you do become better rather than trying to hurry it along. Um, so I guess, yeah, that's yeah, that's one of the biggest things that I'm aiming for this year is just to see all of my clients progress. It's a bit of a quieter competition year for me this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I've got anyone to cover my hours for um, teaching if I go away. So, um, yeah, just to focus on the business and the riding school this year.
1: With your horses, what do you do? Do you look for them? Do you get given them? Do you, you know, go out and look or you know, do you have a supplier? I'm just thinking a couple of quiet horses sounds easy, but, you know, those quiet horses have got to be pretty special horses to to work in a riding school and stay of the same temperament, of the same training. You know, they've got to be pretty special anyway, but where do you find them?
0: Well, I guess it's uh, the good thing about being in business 12 years now is that we do have quite a lot of people out there who have worked with us in the past Mm -hmm. and know what sort of a horse we're looking for. So, um, At the moment, it's easier to find horses than it was in the beginning. Um, Twelve years ago, when we asked around um, and we were looking in horse fields and we were travelling south to find horses, you know, we'd say we were setting up a riding school and a lot of people would turn their noses up at that because they have this vision of riding school horses and trail riding horses being overworked and And understand. And just horse
1: hire type thing, yeah.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, we really pride ourselves on our horses and the care that we take of them. Um, I guess a couple of our horses, we do have quite an old set of school horses uh, with us at the moment. We've got um, two 25-year-olds, a 28-year-old. We've got some some really <laughs> quite elderly ones, but they are working really hard still. So we've had them for a while. But recently, um, we've actually got ourselves uh, a lovely lady who has put us onto her thoroughbreds mm-hmm. um, off the track and she breaks them herself and she does a really good job breaking them in. And so we've purchased three thoroughbreds off her at the moment and they are honestly the best complemented horses on the property. Are they? Yeah, um, yeah so it just... I yeah the main thing you're looking for is temperament, mm-hmm. um, and I guess that the horses are honest, you know that they don't yes. they don't hide things um, from the rider that you know if they they don't want to do something, they let the rider know, not in a dirty way, but you know they do give feedback to the rider. they don't um, I guess hang on to it and become sour and yeah, um, yeah suck back and build up mm-hmm. um, honest honest, quiet horses. Um uh yeah, yeah, your best best assets in a writing school.
1: Okay. Now if you're going to summarise or just sum up your philosophy with horses just into a sentence or two. How could you do that?
0: Oh my goodness. Um <laughs> that's a bit of a tricky one. I guess the biggest thing that I have learnt over the past twelve years, um, working in this business and having a multitude of different horse personalities and horses myself is just to take your time. Don't rush. Um, mm-hmm. It's so important just to take your time, whether that's the time required in a half halt, or the time required to teach a horse something new or the time required to um, you know really consolidate your business and, and get everything working for you in a way that you need. Take your time with that because it's really important. Um, Yeah.
1: (laughs) I think that's a really good message for people. Yeah, it'll happen. You've just got to keep going. And I think earlier on, you know, you talked about just um, teaching resilience, you know, being determined, having empathy with your horse. And I think. You know, exactly the whole, right. Take your time, don't rush. Is um, a good yep. message. Good message to take away. Now, Erin, if people would like to contact you, if they're having a holiday in Cairns or they live in the area, what's the best way?
0: Um, so they can give me a call. Yep. Um, I think you can put a link up to our phone number, we or can. we've got our Facebook page, yes, um, Crystal Cascades Horse Park. We're also on Instagram if you want to have a look at our funny cats and our funny horses that <laughs> get around the place. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the best way is um, is give me a ring or have a, have a look on Facebook for
1: us. We'll do that. And we'll have those on your page at Horse Chats, which will be horsechats.com slash Erin Flanagan or um, just go to horsechats.com, search for Erin or search for Flanagan and you'll find those details. Thanks very much, Erin. Good to talk to you. I'm glad that you're able to actually cancel those lessons today and we can sort of have a bit of a longer chat. And um, yeah, thanks for your time. Thanks for your expertise, particularly that uh, you've been a busy riding school in the tropics and training horses, training dressage horses in the tropics and the care and the management that you've got, you've, um, got there. I think it's been good education for everyone, so thank you.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure.
1: If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe.